Well, before I left on my trip to Paraguay, we were in the midst of a series of lessons on essential doctrines. And in my last lesson, I began to consider the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to be opening your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in that last lesson, we saw that the Spirit gives to some the gift of wisdom to make wise decisions and to direct not only individuals but whole congregations to make the right decision that is in accordance with the will of God to guide the body of Christ. And the, all of these gifts are for the edification of the body of Christ. They are never to exalt individuals or draw attention to them, but it's always for the good of God's people and obviously for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the head of this body. And we saw an example of the gift of wisdom in operation when, when James in that council in Jerusalem, when they were trying to decide whether Gentile believers should be circumcised and obey the law of Moses before they were actually considered part of the, the church. And in that meeting, in that council meeting, God gave James a word of wisdom and what needed to be done, and that they, they were not to be required to follow the law of Moses or to be circumcised. Let's read again 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and beginning at verse 1, we'll read through verse 11. It is so important for us to know the importance of the, the, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, not only in our individual lives, but also in our corporate lives in the local assembly. And so we need to pay attention to these instructions that we have in the Word of God, or otherwise, as was the case in the, with the Corinthians, there's going to be abuse, there's going to be misuse of these gifts, there's going to be a misunderstanding of what they are really supposed to do and how they are to operate in our midst. And so Paul gives us instruction here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to those dumb idols, however you were led. That's how they ran their lives under idolatry. It was by those dumb idols and their priests that just told them whatever they wanted to tell them in order to, to get rich, uh, the priests, that is, to get rich. And therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We cannot understand anything about God or his will apart from the working and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how important he is. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Here we see the Trinity working in our lives in order that we might be everything that we need to be. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. 
to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. In the local assembly at Corinth, there was division among the saints. They were using these gifts to try to tell others that they were superior to other believers because they had certain gifts. And that, that of course, brings division. And so Paul, though he lists nine specific gifts here, these were just examples, as we saw in our, in our last lesson on, on this. The Holy Spirit works in many different ways. But Paul's point here is that though there are differences in these gifts, how God uses us, that it's all the same Spirit. So our unity is in Christ, and in that unity there are diverse ways to minister to the body of Christ. We don't all have to be doing the same thing. We don't have to all be saying the exact same thing the exact same way. But we all need to yield our lives to that same Holy Spirit, and he will direct us. And the body will function as it should in a local assembly and then even on a wider scale. When God's people learn to be led by the Holy Spirit, there is unity and there is strength and we are built up and we are strengthened. So let's go to the to the next gift here. We, we do want to, since they are specifically mentioned, we want to try to understand what these gifts are and how we can recognize them when they are at work in our midst. So we looked at wisdom, the gift of wisdom, and how that we saw an illustration of that in uh, James's life and ministry. Now let's go to the gift of knowledge. Now, this goes beyond the simple knowledge of Scripture or the simple understanding of doctrine because all believers need to know the truth. We all need to know. We all need to have knowledge of what God has revealed to us in the Bible. But this is a special grace given for special occasions and special needs. It is to know something that goes beyond your experience. And not surprisingly, of course, we see this gift operating in, in the life and the ministry of Jesus. So let's, let's see an example of this word of knowledge in John 2 and verses 24 and 25. To know something that you do not know because of experience or education, but simply because the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. And this is an important gift that needs to be in operation among God's people. It is for our protection. It is to remind us that God knows everything about us. He knows us intimately. And so when this gift is manifested, it is simply a reminder God knows us. And therefore, we can have peace in knowing that he knows also how to minister to our needs in every circumstance, in every situation. John two twenty four. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, obviously, this is unique to Jesus as the Son of God. He's God. So, of course, we're going to see this, this omniscience in him. Also, in, in John 4 and verses 16 to 19, we won't turn there, but there we have the account at the woman at the well. And Jesus says, uh, the man you're living with is not your husband. You've had five men. Je Jesus didn't know this woman as far as 
having met her before or heard about her, the Holy Spirit, this is an example of knowledge that goes beyond your experience. Again, that's to be expected in the life and ministry of the Son of God. But let's see it in operation also in Peter's ministry in Acts chapter 5. Acts 5 and verses 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And he did so with the intention, as everybody else was doing, that this is everything we have. We're given everything we have. But, of course, they didn't. And But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? You didn't have to give it. You didn't have to sell it. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so here we, of course, see the deity of the Holy Spirit presented because first he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you've lied to God. And so we understand that the Holy Spirit is the third person in the triune Godhead. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last, so that great fear came upon all who heard these things. And the young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. In other words, everything we're given, this is everything we sold it for. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all of the church and upon all who heard these things. And so when we do pray for revival, which we should, are we serious about it? This was part of the revival that took place, that God was making it clear that God knows everything. We can't hide anything from him. And when we surrender everything that we are to him, he will use us and he will show himself faithful in our life. But we have to come with this unconditional surrender of everything we are and everything we have. Peter didn't know. He didn't see the process. He hadn't heard. Somebody didn't tell him that these Ananias and Sapphira were were lying. The Holy Spirit knew, and the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And so great fear came upon all because of this, this knowledge knowing that God knows everything about us. For those, certainly for the world, that would be something that would bring fear and terror, and should. God knows. But even for God's children, those who are living carnally, it should also bring a little uh, conviction and a little uneasiness. God sees it all. You can't hide anything from God. You can't hide anything from the Holy Spirit. But for those of us that really want to honor the Lord— this understanding of, of the, the knowledge of God 
and that he the gift that sometimes he gives to those for the edification of God's people, it should bring great comfort to us. When there's something in our heart and our life that we're not aware of, but obviously the Lord knows, I want him to bring it to my attention. And the conviction isn't pleasant. I don't like conviction. And yet it is part of his mercy and his grace that he points that out to me by the Holy Spirit in order that that might be purified out of my heart and my life, that I might be drawn closer to him. And so this gift of knowledge may be scary to some, um, but we need to understand it's part of God's grace that he gives this gift of knowledge to some, again, for the edification of God's people and for the glory of God. Then we have the gift of faith. Now, every child of God has a measure of faith, obviously. All of us are called to live by faith. And so this is something that goes beyond this general faith that every one of us need to have, first of all, for faith in Jesus Christ, but then faith also for uh, looking to the Lord to meet our daily needs and to guide us and to direct us. All of that is, is part of faith that we all are to have. But this is a special gift. Let's go to Acts 23 and verse 11. Acts 23, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. This gift of faith is for specific missions and works that God wants us to do. Not everybody is called to testify before the Roman Empire in Rome. I've never been called to that. Uh, not all of you are called to go preach in, in Paraguay, and that's not a bad thing. That's Not everybody has that same calling. But when God calls you to those special ministries, and, and there are many different kinds. Some people have, have this gift of faith for camp meetings or Bible schools or a lot of different specific things that God has called them to that he hasn't called everybody else to, and it takes that special faith. And in Paul's case, to be called to Rome, knowing that he was going to face persecution there, and ultimately it was revealed, I don't know if it was revealed at this time, but it was ultimately revealed that Paul was going to die for preaching the gospel there in Rome. And it took faith for him to believe that God's will was going to be done in him and through him. Let's go to Acts 27, where we find that on the way... There, we see that Paul's faith, the gift of faith that was given to him for this particular ministry, we see it had to be in operation in his life in the midst of things that looked like were contrary to what God had promised him and what God had sent him to do. So in Acts twenty-seven twenty-one, but after long abstinence from food, they're in the midst of a storm that was going to destroy the boat. Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. 
he had the gift of faith for this trip. Even when everything seemed to be against the fulfillment of of that mission, Paul had faith that he was going to Rome, he was going to fulfill his, his mission that God had called him to, and God showed himself faithful. And so that gift of faith is necessary when when God's called you to something, you can always rest assured Satan is going to throw obstacles in the way so that that doesn't get completed. And sometimes it can just be to witness to your neighbor. It doesn't have to, to be this, this grand missionary trip. Sometimes you need that gift of faith just to witness to your, to your neighbor. Uh, and the enemy is going to bring all kinds of obstacles in your way. And that gift of faith is going to be what you need for you to say, but I believe God. He's put this on my heart. This is what he wants me to do. So it's his responsibility to supply the need, and it's his responsibility uh, to protect me and to provide everything I need. So I'm going to trust him. It's the gift of faith. Then we have the gift of healing. Let's go to Acts 3. Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 to 11. Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 through 11. This is where some of our fundamentalist brethren say that, well, these these gifts are no longer in operation in the church. But we'll, as we'll see, the and as we've mentioned before, the Holy Spirit has not retired any of his tools that he has for God's children. And if somewhere in Scripture we would read that, that these no longer exist, today in the last part of this church, then if it was in Scripture, then yeah, I'd believe that too. But nowhere in Scripture do we see that these things have ceased. And as we mentioned in one of our other lessons, the only Scripture they point to is not talking about when the the apostles die or when the New Testament is complete. When all of these things will cease and we will no longer need them is when we enter into our eternal glorious perfection in heaven. Then yes, I will not need faith in heaven. I will see. I will see Jesus. I will see the Father. I will know. And so I won't need faith. So then it will cease. I won't need healing in heaven. I'll have a glorified body that is fit for eternity. And so that's when these things cease. And so let's read an example in Acts 3 of the gift of healing in verses 1 through 11. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. This was their social uh, security, their Medicare and Medicaid in that time. This is how those that were debilitated, this is how they survived from day to day who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now remember, he had never walked before. And so... All of the things that needed to take place just in the, in the natural, his muscles had never been exercised. All of this was part of this reality of, of this scene. 
And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Try to picture this scene. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. This lame man that was healed, everyone knew him. They saw him every day. They knew that he was not faking it when he did get up and walk. They knew this man. And God gave the gift of healing to Peter and John. Now, with all of these gifts, what what are these gifts for? Are they to impress people? Are they to make us feel better? No, they are for our spiritual edification. And these healings that were done through the apostles, they were to point people to Jesus Christ and the eternal life that's found in him. Not just so these individuals would have health. That was a glorious benefit. But the purpose of the gift of healing is not to draw attention to the individual, but to point people to Jesus, first for salvation and then also to point God's people. God is the source of everything you need, spirit, soul, and body. And when there is this miracle of physical healing, and I believe that every time that we are sick, I believe we should ask God for this miracle, understanding that that doesn't mean that God will always heal us physically. But when we go to him in faith and ask him for a miracle of his grace, we are simply acknowledging you are the source of everything we need. Now, if it's your will, I know you'll heal me and that it's not impossible. If, if you want to use this to point someone to Jesus about the reality, if God can heal these physical bodies, then why would we doubt that he can give us eternal life? He can do the impossible. And, and so, the gift of healing, this is why I believe it's still something that the Holy Spirit uses today for this purpose. Now, I do have to say this. These self-proclaimed healing ministries today, like Benny Hinn and, and many of these others, uh, they're carnival sideshows. It's not the gift of healing. And, and we can know that because they use what they claim to be healings to draw attention to themselves and to make themselves filthy rich. On top of that, the very doctrines that they teach are contrary to everything the Bible teaches. And so we know their ministries are not of God. And we know that they're, they're imposters. But it is just as foolish for us to deny the power of the Holy Spirit to heal these bodies today. We need to accept what God says he still does among his people. And so we need that balance. We, we don't, I've known many Christians over the years, because they believe in healing, as I do, they quickly embrace anyone who uses the word healing. Uh, because I believe in the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in, in tongues. Some of God's people who believe that, they'll embrace anybody that speaks in tongues. But saints, that, that, that's foolish and it's dangerous. We need to examine everything that people teach and what they live in the light of Scripture, not just listening to buzzwords, 
but to know what God says in his word. And so we need that balance to know what this gift of healing is and what it's not and how God uses it and for why does he use it. He uses it to point people to Jesus and the the power that he has to save people and to change them and get them ready for the coming of the Lord. Romans 8 and verse 11, if we can't believe that God heals the body today when it's his will, when it is what is for the edification of the body of Christ and when it's to lead others to salvation, if we can't believe that God still does that today, how can we believe that one day he's going to change these mortal bodies and give us a body of immortality? Because it's the same spirit. The spirit that can heal the body today is the spirit one day that's going to transform us to be ready to live in eternity. Romans eight eleven. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One day, the Holy Spirit is going to quicken these mortal bodies and we're going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he still heals today. He's not limited. We need to ask him for that and then trust him that nothing's impossible and that if it's God's will to use that healing of my body to bring, to point others to the reality of Jesus Christ, then we say amen and we ask him for that. Obviously, the apostles had this gift of healing. Let's also look at the gift of miracles, closely associated, a little different. Healings do have specifically to do with these bodies. The gift of miracles can be anything that is out of the ordinary and beyond man's ability and experience, but something that takes place, it's a miracle of God. We see that in Acts 19, and verses 11 and 12. As we'll see here, the, the apostles, they, the, the sheer quantity of miracles and, and healings that were done through the apostles and the frequency with which they were done, those were signs that these men were the apostles of Jesus Christ, that they had the message of God for humanity. And so the, fre- the frequency and the quantity and the magnitude of their miracles, they were unique to them. We, we understand that. But also it's clear that other individuals in the body of Christ had these gifts as well, not on the same level or the same scale as the apostles, but that God did give these gifts. And here we see the gift of miracle. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Several kinds of miracles that were connected with the healing of the body. But then let's look at Acts 13 and verses 8 through 11, where we see a miracle that actually is the opposite of healing. And yet it was a miracle that was given by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. 
and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So here's a miracle (laughs) that you don't want. This is a miracle of judgment, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul did this being filled with the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, and received the power to exercise this miracle. So, again, God uses these things, all of these gifts, and we'll, we'll have to stop here this morning. We'll consider the remaining gifts in the next lesson, Lord willing. But we need to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, to know that he's real, that he's powerful, that he's the third member of the triune Godhead that has been sent to help us in this life that we are to live as lights in this dark world. And saints, as the world gets darker and darker and darker, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live this godly life. And so we need to look to him be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is leading, and we do that by, again, knowing the Word of God, the Bible that He inspired, hiding that Word in our heart, and then pray that the Father would give us that direction of the Holy Spirit today in every situation. And a lot of these things, we read them, we know them, many of us learned them in Sunday school. But saints, these truths should impact the life that we live in this very real world the trials, the challenges of life, and they're so, they're so real. But the Holy Spirit is just as real, and he'll give you what you need when you need it if you cry out to your Heavenly Father for that strength, for that guidance, for that direction. There's nothing impossible with my God. And even when there's trials and things, just as Paul was going through that terrible storm when it looked like, we're not going to get out of this. We're all going to die. We all go through experiences in, in life, and there are many different levels and degrees of, of trials and tragedies and sadness we go through. But in every one of them, no matter how little, those little frustrations of life or those tragedies of life, we need to always stop and look to the Lord and for the direction of the Holy Spirit to give us what we need when we need it and know that he will show himself faithful. Well, let's have a song in closing this morning.